You want to know why you're all fucked up? What is nothing? Hey, now that's deep. What in the fuck are we doing here? What is something? That's deep, bro. Oh, hi. Welcome to That's Deep, Bro. I'm your host, Christina P. Uh... Oh, there we go. I can hear myself. Thank you for downloading this episode. You can also watch That's Deep, bro. You can watch me talk to myself um, on my YouTube channel, uh, Christina P. YouTube channel. Just Google that. Uh, these are all up. You can see what I look like uh-huh, as I talk to myself in a very nice studio. Uh, so yeah, thank you for downloading. Come see me live, St. Louis at Helium, September 22nd and 23rd. Um, at the comedy store nowadays, usually Saturday nights, the early show in the OR. I, I love that. That is the best. That's the best because people are uh, sane at that hour. It's 730 and you're at a comedy show and the sun is still out. Uh, you're a sane person that still likes fun. You're my kind of person. Uh, also, what else? Oh, Amazon. Use my banner when you do your shopping. Go to thatsdeepbropodcast.com. Click on the banner at the bottom of every post to your shopping as you normally would. Just kicks back a little bit of change to the show. I think my kid's playing with the the fence outside the door here. That's so funny. Okay. Let's get, uh, let's get cooking today. Here we go. This is classics. I was a child There we go. Richard Hell. Hello. My favorite. I love that song. It's, uh, it's so silly. It's so gross too, right? I, I, I thought of Richard Hell today because I was listening to Anthony Bourdain who, you know, I love him. I love Anthony Bourdain. If you haven't read Kitchen Confidential, it's a great summer read. You can read it on the beach and you're going to laugh and it's very insightful. Um, I think Anthony Bourdain invented like a whole lane of writing, of, of writing about food and the the subculture that is working in restaurants. And um, I didn't know, I mean, I've worked in restaurants, but before I read Anthony's writing on stuff like this, you don't realize, um, excuse me, how uh, that business really attracts the the derelicts, you know, it's the, the, the dark, <laughs> the seedier elements, just like comedy clubs do. I don't know if you're watching that show, I'm Dying Up Here. Um, I am, and a few of my buddies are in that, 
show, Eric Griffin and Al Madrigal, who is, hello, founder, co-founder of um, All Things Comedy. They're doing fantastic jobs on that show. Um, and also um, Andrew Santino, hello, hello. But, uh, uh, you know, they over-dramatize. Come on. Like that, the word depressive comics, but I'll tell you what, there's not a comedian out there that would kill themselves if their career was going well. That doesn't happen. So that's a little not true, but some other stuff is, you know, there's uh, some darkness, but, um, I love Anthony Bourdain because he, he did create a whole genre of, you know, of, of food carrying significance of food being important to how we relate to other people. I mean, he, he was talking to, I was listening to Marin's podcast, the WTF and, um, how he can go to Saudi Arabia and sit across the table from people he may not agree with ideologically, but when you break bread with somebody, you kind of, you know, you, you, you don't, you see them as human. You don't see them as ideology or as, you know, practice of something that might repulse you. And, uh, I was watching a documentary on Putin even. And when you, when you watch Putin talk, you're thinking, well, does surely he's not such a bad guy. Come on. You know, he's just the, one of the greatest spies that the KGB ever had. And he's a (laughs) a terrifying ruler, but one-on-one, one-on-one people are just so likable, aren't they? It's terrifying that way. How as a group, they may suck. And then independently, individually, people are really fantastic. Even Putin. I was like, he's kind of a, kind of a dark humor guy. Like he's a, you know, hard ass Russian dude, but not so bad and then you go oh no no he's really a piece of shit he's really bad um what was i going to say about anthony well i've always loved him and i i love how he talks about food having stories and it's so true though because he goes if you ask somebody to feed you and they cook you a dish there's always some kind of story attached to it and uh yeah, there's always, it's funny what people like. I was watching some video of this Russian girl making some weird Russian dish and she, it's essentially dough with like nuts in it. And she goes, this is a big part of my childhood because we didn't have so much growing up and, and we became resourceful with what we had. And it's so interesting what people become emotionally attached to, like these disgusting <laughs> treats that, I mean, disgusting to me, but to her, she grew up on and, and this is what, this is what you ate. And I think of all the disgusting things culturally I ate growing up that, I mean, disgusting by comparison, obviously to American uh, palate, American tastes, but to you, it's... Uh, it's endearing and it's, it's fun and it's cute. Oh my God. My grandmother used to love, uh, fish soup. It was like a Hungarian, uh, fish soup. And she used to love sucking the eyeballs out of the fish head. And I was just like, man, that, that is one I, I uh, never got on board with. And I like it. Right. Yeah. Character building. Um, so there's that. And then, Hey, we just had the 4th of July. Um, you know, Super stoked to see everybody's low-res JPEGs of fireworks on Instagram. You know me. I'm on the gram. I'm analyzing the shit out of everybody. Uh, Judging, secretly hating sometimes, secretly admiring, secretly envying. I love Instagram. Uh, But really the highlight of every 4th of July for me, uh, it's definitely got to be the pictures of the fun everyone's having on the 4th of July. Um, but, but mostly I love the fireworks, the photographs, 
the low-res JPEG of fireworks. Is there anything less inspiring, least translatable in, in any anything that, uh, as fireworks being photographed? It, it doesn't translate, guys. Okay, and, and same as the wonderment you feel when you're in the airplane and you see some neat fluffy clouds and you take a picture of that and you put that up. It doesn't translate, okay? That's kind of an in-the-moment thing. Those, those aren't good photographs, okay? Now, neither is the moon. Don't, I know it's exciting that the moon looks a certain way, uh, but it's really, it just doesn't translate. It, it's fucking boring, okay? Spice up your Instagram feeds. And I don't know who these lunatics are, by the way. I know who they are. I'm not going to call them out on this show, but I don't know who the fuck you are that you have these constant my story updates. You know that the um, the Snapchat thing that Instagram's adopted now where everyone can put the minutia of their boring fucking lives up there. And, it, it, and there are some people who every time I open Instagram, there's a new fucking story. And I'm like, how... How is it that you've you've lived so much life in the last hour or fifteen minutes that you got more shit to say? I mean, I'm on I'm on a full day here and I got nothing. I don't have not nearly as much as you. And some people, boy, they love to uh, overshare everything. It's really really amazing, but it does make you realize the utter banality of everybody's human existence, except for Molly Sims. I believe that she really is living a better life than all of us. Um, but yeah, but even Mariah Carey, cause I look at her and I'm like, yeah, she's doing the same shit I'm doing except with like better jewelry and low cut tops. There's nothing really that objectively, you know, fantastic. Like, okay, I, I might be on a boat. She's on a yacht. Big fucking deal. It's just the upgrade and stuff. But again, Molly Sims, my favorite, I was on her channel, uh, the other day and I was actually, I'm actually falling in love with Molly Sims. I think I am because everything she does is, is perfection. And she doesn't say, claim to be perfect. That's the thing. I'm projecting my own insecurity onto Molly Sims. But because she does admit to uh, struggling. Oh, she, but she uses the soft language like, um, it's been a challenge having a third child and integrating that child into our lives. It's always when people use polite language, like it's challenging versus like, look, this shit is fucking hard. I, I, I admire people that can have some level of decorum when explaining things because I certainly don't. I lack tact. I lack that softness. I, I, and I admire it when I see it in life. So Molly Sims was telling us how to travel with children because I am going to fly with baby jeans. It's going to happen in August. We're going to uh, West Palm beach. We're doing your mom's house there, by the way, if you live in that area, come check it out. Um, it's the week of August 20th. So I'm going to fly with my baby. I'm terrified, anxious, you name it. Uh, so I'm watching her tips and she's got some good ideas, right? Like you want to fly when they're napping, you want to bring a lot of crafts and, and crayons and stickers, games and things. The iPad with downloaded plenty of movies, yes. Um, and then, she, and then this one's my absolute favorite. And then, now I never normally give this treat, but since it's a special thing and since we're on a special trip and on an airplane, I let them have organic lollipops. <laughs> organic 
lollipops. Did you hear what I said? Who even knew that hardened sugar candy could be organic? And I love the caveat too that moms always make of like, I don't normally do this. I'm a perfect mother. I would never, ever let my child have processed or refined sugars. I would never, ever, ever let my child have macaroni and cheese. But you know what? It's a vacation, so I'm going to let it happen. <laughs> or generations of us, just like hundreds of years of us, we've been raised on inorganic lollipops and processed foods, and we've come out of it just fine. But the level of perfection and guilt over the organic lollipop was my favorite thing I've seen. And I I had to laugh to myself a few times. But again, I love her. I, I admire her. I aspire to be... I could use a little Molly Sims is what I'm saying. A little less tough Christina P, a little softened, calm. And I'll tell you what I do admire about Molly Sims, real talk, is... I watch her handle three children and she is just cool as a cucumber, just calm as a Hindu cow. She, you know, chill. She rolls with it. She goes with the flow. She's, uh, you know, I see her in her vacation and she's smiling on the vacation pics like, oh, me and the newborn. First of all, me and the newborn, grammatically incorrect. The newborn and I in Acapulco or wherever the heck, she's taking like elaborate trips with three babies and in my head, I'm going, she's, she's got to have a nanny, right? I mean, there's got to be like five nannies because how do you, how are you sleeping on this vacation, let alone drinking a lot of alcohol with the newborn? Like, aren't, how is that even, a th- I bet, you know, I don't know. She does it. I don't know how. So, so but anyway, it got me to thinking uh, how not Molly Sims I am in terms of, well, life in general, not relaxed at all. Um, highly anxious most, most of the time, um, neurotic, yes, controlling, uh, or trying to control things all the time. Sure. I'm, I'm not a laid back person and I just, I know this about myself. This is something that I, I work on actively and, you know, I think my inclination is to want to control everything all the time, right? Controlling the kid, controlling the situation. And I just, that's why I watch Molly Sims because I, I like that, like that she's not me. She's, she's very much a roll with it kind of gal. And I'd like to be more of a, a roll with it kind of gal myself. So I did some research this week about what that's all about. What is it about control uh, that keeps us locked in it? Like what, why do we feel like we have to have control and how do I stop? Because it doesn't feel good. It doesn't feel good that I want to control everything and everyone. And, and so I know I, and I, I'm not saying I do it all the time cause I'm really cognizant of it and I really catch myself doing it, but am I perfect? No, of course not. Um, okay. So what is it? If you, if you've got a problem where you, your your happiness or your state of being is sometimes dependent on what's happening around you. This is also an offshoot of codependency. Wow, who knew? I had no idea. So, uh, God, I'm drinking too much coffee today, and I got my Fiji water. I've uh, been reading about codependency more. Shoot, hold on a second. My husband is calling, and I have a feeling this is urgent. All right. Sorry, guys. Husband calls, have to take it. When they call five times, you know when your spouse calls you five times and you're like, wait, what is it? What is it? 
It was okay. Not an emergency. Uh, what was I talking about? Okay, control. Got me to thinking, what the fuck is my problem? How do I get my life? And just so you guys know, uh, what I do, if I know that I'm looping on something, if I have an inclination that something doesn't feel right, I just fucking Google I swear to God, I Google books. I go, I just type in uh, the words control, uh, giving up control, letting go, whatever the fuck, book. And then some shit comes up and then that's it. I download it, I read it, and it's as simple as that. And books, to me, are the most valuable wealth of knowledge. I mean, thousands and thousands of years of human experience have been recorded in books. To not read is absurd to me. And if you don't like reading, uh, listen to the audiobook. You spend how many hours in your car sitting in traffic? Why not listen to something that is meaningful and that can help you get your life together? So I found this book. It's like a timeless self-help classic. It's called Codependency No More. And I swear to God, this is one of those wacky books that was on my mother's bookshelf in the 80s. Uh, which, by the way, did you know that like all the self-helpy stuff just happened in like the 70s and the 80s? Like It's kind of like a new thing. Which, by the way, explains why your parents are such lunatics. Because this stuff, like people, people raised in the 40s, 50s, and 60s just didn't have access to any of this information. So before you go hating your, your parents, just know that they really didn't have any hope. Like if you were, <laughs> if you were like a child in the 50s or the 60s, like you're just, you're screwed you know, there was there was no talking about your feelings. There were no feelings. There were no therapists or psychologists or people studying, you know, human behavior and what causes alcoholism and what causes this and that and the other and what's autism or what's ADD. This stuff is, it's not that these things are new. It's just that people are now studying them in the last few, few decades, very few decades. So, uh, yeah, so have compassion for the, the older folks who, didn't uh, have any of this. So the book is codependency no more. And, uh, again, I'm, I'm on this hook right now. I'm on this, this thing. And it's not just about enabling alcoholics. Cause I know that's what everybody thinks it is. That's what I thought it was for a long time. And I'm not even sure that codependency is the right, the right word, because I feel like it's a, it's a little more than that. It's like you, your emotional stuff is dependent on somebody else and how they are. And there's a lot of stuff that goes on, right? Okay, so I wrote down some biggies. Um, people that have these traits, codependent, whatever. I did a whole episode on this if you want to listen to it. It's about two episodes back. But um, this one's a big one that I thought was really interesting um, in this book, Codependent No More. That the idea that you don't always have to react. So... Um, <clears throat> I don't know if you somebody sends you a nasty text or somebody wants to s- sends you an email or wants to get you roped in to some drama um you don't have to react. Did you know that? <laughs> Did you know that you don't have to immediately answer texts or phone calls? You don't have to immediately make snap decisions or you don't have to do anything right away. And I think that's a huge for me, lesson of like, uh, oh, you mean I don't have to let other people kind of control how I react and feel? Because that, that's like reactive behavior. And that's the whole point of like meditation and therapy, blah, blah, blah. Yes, you guys have heard me say that shit all the time. Uh, but it's to get out of the reactive brain, the, the um, you know, that whole thing of like someone says something that, gah, gah, 
gets you. And now you're in it, right? You're going to react. You're going to start the fight. You're going to get engaged. You're going to go down the, the rabbit hole of nonsense. You're going to go through the drama with that person. That's what, that's the fun of the game, right? That's the fun of the codependent, whatever, blah, blah. I, I hate using phrases like this because I feel like I don't fully understand it. And then I don't know what you understand of it. And let's just say it's your, your bullshit, right? So someone triggers you, you answer with a nasty thing and now you're in it and you're in the same pattern that you've been in that is destructive and crummy and crappy and you're not getting your life. Um, also obsessing is another thing they talk about in this book about, um, let's say somebody's acting in a way that you don't want them to, or they've hurt you or you want some outcome for something and now you're obsessing about it. <coughs> you're having the fake conversations in your head with someone. You ever done that where you rehearse the fight over and over in your bed at night and you're like, I want to fucking see that girl's world and I'm going to be like, I'm going to be like, Sandy, you can suck my tits. And then of course, when you see them in real life, you're like, oh, hey, hey, no, I'm fine. It's just fine. Everything's, I'm feeling great. What? I'm not mad. No, everything. Um, (laughs) So obsessing is horrible because it doesn't, it doesn't help anything. It's like, when you worry about something, you think you're doing something by worrying, is what this book says, uh, but you're not. You're, you've, you're feeling like you're being proactive by being concerned, and that's really actually counterproductive and helps nobody except it gets you fired up. So they say to get out of that, you have to disrupt the cycle, which is to you know do something that uh, gets you out of your own bullshit. So go for a walk, go for a swim, go do your thing, go walk the dog, go pet the dog, do anything other than obsess about what it is you're obsessing over. And I thought that was really cool. Um, Not saying no is huge for people with this problem. And by the way, a lot of people who are codependent, that's silly word. Uh, A lot of us uh, grew up with like alcoholic parents or parents who didn't merit your feelings, which is most people, by the way, most people. And again, not because of fault, but just because of the stuff is kind of new to human beings. This is not a you know, this is like a recent thing, psychology and self-help and what, you know, what, what is, what are feelings and how to feel them and processing things and blah, blah, blah. So, uh, most of us have these problems and and that's, and then, okay. So then we don't say no to people. Right. And then you say yes to too many things and then you get resentful, right? You get mad because you overextended yourself. You agreed to too much and now you get mad at the person or thing or situation, and then you resent them, and then you get mad. And that fucking sucks, too. Uh, not having fun, that's another one, too. Uh, not the ability to, to let go and just have, uh, have a good time, <laughs> which is so fucking hard. It's so crazy. It doesn't sound like it should be, but it kind of is. Okay. Uh, check out that book. If, if any of this stuff sounds like it resonates with you, I highly recommend it. Um, also I want to bring up something really quickly for any parents listening. This might help you as well. I was in a text exchange with a friend of mine and, uh, she was explaining how her, her kiddo was having a graduation and she invited the family. The family didn't show up and then she confronted this person and that person. And it was like this big mess. And, uh, and we get to texting and, um, and we're like, isn't it fascinating how, you know, your children are really just, um, they're like little, like trigger, trigger machines for us. And I'm not saying they do it 
in, intentionally. That's not, that's not what I'm saying, but um, you end up seeing all the, the crappy things in you. And, and when you start to raise your child, <laughs> you start to go like, oh, that's, that's a horrible trait that I have. Uh, or you go, gosh, I wasn't raised with this thing I'm giving my kid and how sad that is. You start to think about the stuff you didn't get, or you start to think about the stuff that, uh, that is activated in you, right? And so, you know, with the example of a, a, a graduation or something, and the parent, the your family doesn't come, and then you go and you get mad at them. It's like, well, that's is that really about today, or is that about your feelings of maybe growing up and people not showing up to your things? And I just wanted to to put that out there for parents, for for moms and dads, because I feel like that shit never gets discussed in popular culture. Most people really only talk about. It's funny because when I had a baby, uh, I was uh, talking to somebody. I won't say who it is. And I was like, I'm so fucking, I'm so stressed out. Like, why is it so stressful? And she goes, you're not supposed to be stressed out by your children. You're supposed to enjoy your children. They're supposed to be, they're supposed to be joy. And I believed her and I, I fucking believed that person. And I thought, well, well, surely I must be doing it wrong because why do I feel stressed out by my, by my kid? And again, it's not my kid. My kid's amazing. My kid's perfect. And as is everyone else's kid, it's not that it's nothing. My son does is what I'm saying. It's just that you start to see things that you're like, oh, oh God, is this about him or is this about me? And it, it's always about you. But I mean, there's nothing a toddler can do intentionally that, you know, uh, uh, <laughs> there, there's no awareness there of malicious hello intent. But you, you do start to go back into your Rolodex of, <clears throat> of past hurts is what I'm saying. So uh, if anybody listening to this, if you resonate with that, I don't have a solution other than going to a shrink and talking it out. But just know if you uh, are unnecessarily freaked out by something that happens with your kid or whatever, it's probably not about today. It's probably about something that happened a long time ago. And the 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 challenge of uh, of somebody like me who wants to break a cycle of uh, of what they call attachment. That's what that is. Where yeah, I want to have a healthy attachment with my boo boo. I want I want my kid to grow up and have none of the fucking issues that I do. <laughs> Good luck with that. But uh, I'm gonna try. I'm gonna make a valiant effort for, for this to happen. It's uh, it's tiring because when you grow up, um, you know. Look, I'm my my mentally ill mom. That was hard and. I don't, you pick up on, you think that's the way life is, right? When you come from kind of a, a screwier family and uh, I don't want to go on autopilot with my kid. I don't want to just do the default thing. So it takes a little extra work when you're, uh, when you come from a, a spicier background. So if you're listening to this, uh, just know that someone fucking feels you. I feel you girl. I feel you boy. You're just trying to, trying to correct it and trying to get it right. Just trying to get it right. Because <laughs> it's it is easy. I've seen parents do this shit. I mean, like it's a lot easier to just tell your kid shut the fuck up, sit down, right? It is. It is way easier to be like, stop doing that. Quit being so stupid. What are you? <laughs> what are you stupid? Stop it. Shut up. I've seen. I've seen it. I've seen it uh, in restaurants, and it's horrible. It's it's horrible to see little children getting shouted at by adults who are just not even aware of what they're doing. It really makes me nutty. So a lot easier to just tell a kid to shut the fuck up and sit down, but I ain't going to do it. It ain't going to come out that way. Let's answer some emails. 
But we need our theme song. Where's our, where's our Dan Pena? You want to know why you're all fucked up? There you go. Okay. God, I hope I didn't answer this last time. Uh, I don't think I did. Okay. Anyway. Uh, hi, hi, Mommy Tina. <clears throat> oh, this person is also a fan of the Great British Baking Show. Fantastic. Um, let me see if I can use your name. Yes, you have not specified otherwise. So Emily writes in. Um, she's a 21-year-old girl from Ontario. Hello. Me too, fellow Ontarian. Um, and have been single for the past year, she writes. I dated my high school boyfriend for over three years, and most of our relationship was long distance since he went to university in another province. We had a good relationship, but grew apart over the years and became different people. I ended it, and we stayed friends for a couple months, but don't talk anymore. I'm fine at school, but now that I'm in my hometown for the summer, I miss our time together and have been contemplating getting in touch with him. I know I'm better off without him, but I miss talking to him as we were best friends when we were together. I'm worried that if I message him, he will think I want to get back together and I don't want to hurt him. Should I contact him or not? Thank you for all your advice on the podcast and I hope to see you, the true personality champ and your stand-up sometime soon in Ontario. I don't know if there's even a, is there clubs? I'm sure there is. Okay. Um, looking forward to your special. Thank you, mommy. Thank you, Emily. Okay. Okay. So I've, I remember doing this as a 20 something year old. You've a boyfriend you're with for a long time and at the age of 21 three years is an eternity it may as well be 15 years and you're bored there's nobody around but you know the ex is in town do you call the ex and hang out um the answer to that is hell no to the no 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 emily get your life please do not call the ex for many reasons. Number one, are you leading him on? Absolutely. Yes. Without a que- without question. Now, unless your ex is somehow a highly evolved, I don't know how, he, how old he is, uh, unless he's become a highly evolved 40-year-old man uh, being, there's no way he's going to be able to chill with you. I mean, look, it sounds like you're bored. You're looking for some kicks. You're looking for the charge of maybe some male attention, whatever. There's so many other, there's other dudes in Ontario. I guarantee it. There's other dudes that will be way into you. So go find them. Leave the guy alone. Uh, if there's one thing I've learned in life, it's that you cannot help your ex get over you and you shouldn't mislead. Don't mislead people because he, guys are fucking, you know, especially at this age, they do kind of misinterpret stuff as like, oh, she wants me. Like you can just look at a fucking guy that age and they're like, the girl wants me. So I think just to to keep yourselves clean, you know, just just don't. Just just don't. It's uh, way easier not to. But you're sweet uh, for asking. And I know you miss him. Wait a few years. Wait until he gets another girlfriend and he's really, really in love with that girl. And then maybe maybe you can be friends with that person. Maybe. (laughs) Okay. Uh, This person writes in, Dear Christina, I'm having a really hard time right now. I'm severely depressed and living far away from any kind of support, suffering a breakup with absolutely no interest in anything else ever again, it feels like, and sorting out family issues that I can't seem to understand. I've done all the right things, no alcohol or drugs. I exercise every single day, eat healthy, spend time in nature. I have a lovely 10 p.m. to 6 a.m. sleep schedule. I even do meditation at a Buddhist temple nearby on Sundays. 
I should be thrilled to be alive, but I still find myself falling into a pit of despair almost every day. Okay, so she tried therapy with little connection. Uh, When I switched to the second one, it was even worse match. I don't exactly make much money, so having a therapist is an extreme luxury for me, and I'd like to find the right one. So I want to ask, what sort of suggestions do you have for dealing with depression on my own? What am I supposed to be looking for in a therapist? How do I know I found the right one? This is an outstanding question. This person wishes to remain anonymous, so I will not say her name, his name. I don't know. It could be either. Um, But hold on. I wanted to also fucking write this one. Okay. Uh, How do you know if it's the right fit? This is a question I get asked a lot on the show. I um, I think you feel it intuitively like you do... Um, dating it's it, or making friends, right? You can tell whether or not this person gets you, gets your dramas, is seeing you. Uh, if, if you like their style. Uh, I mentioned before, I, I saw a few people before I found the person I see and I remember just not like liking their styles. It takes a few. It took me a few before I got to this lady. So, <clears throat> um, One or two therapists is not a lot to go through before you find the right one for you. So keep looking. And I know it can be pricey. Again, I say this on the show a lot too. Google sliding scale therapist and your zip code. Sliding scale is the phrase to be looking for. And that means somebody who is affordable that you can do it. uh, uh, You can pay as much as you can, as you can afford. Basically, you guys negotiate a price. So it doesn't have to cost a fortune. It can cost whatever you can pay. So I, I recommend that. Also, um, I don't. I never talk about this. I got an email from this listener, and she writes that you never talk about um, antidepressants, and only because I've not. I've never taken them. But you might want to find somebody who can prescribe something for you to lift the fog. From what I understand. Taking antidepressants is a great way to just kind of give you some breathing room because sometimes grief, and that that sounds like what is happening, you know, you broke up with somebody and that's super traumatic, by the way. It is like going through a death of sorts, right? The death of a relationship, of uh, companionship, of something that you came to rely on every day for emotional support, physical, blah, blah, the whole thing. But uh, yeah, take drugs if you if you can. Um, so find a doctor that can prescribe you something just to get your head above water. There's no need to suffer every day. Uh, a little bit of suffering is good, but I know it sounds like it's really crippling you and there's no reason to be that sad, um, every day. There's no reason to suffer needlessly is what I'm saying. So please try again and try to find someone that can prescribe something to you. I think that might really, really help. And all the stuff you're doing is great. Keep doing it. That's, that's fantastic. Uh, a lot of times what really helps when you're getting out of something funky is um, what you're doing, creating a routine, sticking to your routine, sticking to positive habits. Um, sometimes, like, you know, when someone dies, they tell you to get back to your routine, your normal thing as soon as possible. And it sounds impossible and it sounds crazy. <clears throat> but eventually you do start to normalize by doing the things that you uh, normally do. I don't know. I mean, you can throw yourself into work, projects, whatever, what have you, things that will help you get distracted and meet new people. But I do recommend trying again with a therapy and finding drugs. Why the fuck not? 
Ain't no reason to be bummed out. Right? Okay. I agree. I wanted to read this one. This little lady is writing from all the way from Manila. This is so crazy. I, you know, I forget that uh, the internet is global. <laughs> I guess I always do talk to people as though they live in the U.S. or Canada, but people listen to the show in like Sri Lanka and very strange places. So hello, everybody who's not in the U.S. and Canada. My apologies for not addressing you <clears throat> more because I think it's, it's fucking cool, isn't it? Pretty cool that uh, we can do this. Okay, let's say she says hello, and I don't know how to say this. Mabuhe, Mabuhe, Mabuhe. I've been listening to your show since last year, and it became my go-to mood lifter whenever I feel out of touch with my better, more capable self. Well, thank you. Okay, uh, I relate to what you talk about. I am a single twenty-year-old female from Manila, Philippines. I got out of a nine-year relationship. Ooh, ooh, that's a long one. Almost three years ago, and while it is surely the best and biggest decision I've made so far. It's been a solitary uphill climb ever since. I'm an undergrad and I'm stuck with an online teaching job I grew to hate. Been in this industry now for six years. When I wasn't teaching, I was trying to survive the night shift by taking calls in BPO companies. I swore never to go back to the call center life, though uh, though so I ended up teaching as I am still underqualified for the jobs I wanted. I go from being hopeful that borders on indifference to anxiety and then depression. Us here put so much value and emphasis on being close with our families, but I realize I just don't belong to them. So I distance and moved out again. I have no friends I hang out with that I genuinely like. I've tried reaching out and actually met a few nice people. But none hits it off with me. For the first time, I tried to hook up. And while I intended to play by the rules, I caught up feelings with the guy. And I'm not sure what the next step is for me. I've considered lots of things, gym, workshops, classes, traveling. But I couldn't seem to get motivated to take consistent action. At some point, I'll lose interest or would be questioning their value. What's the point anyways, you know? And I hate that I do. There's the question of money too, as I'm still trying to make ends meet, paying debts, being away from home, and buying new stuff to make a decent dwelling. I don't know if I should hustle harder to get bigger bucks and afford these interesting activities, but how? I'm mostly burned out by just by slaving away nine hours each day to make money. I feel dead inside. I've read somewhere that sometimes there's no such thing as balance and you just have to dive in whatever life is pushing you to do. I don't know why it's so hard for me to dive in and dive in where? Help. Cheers to you and Tom, Janica. Girl, it sounds like you got a lot of shit going on, man. I mean, uh, dive in where? That's a good one. You've got... A lot of shit. You got your family. You've got a breakup you're dealing with. You've got money issues. You've got more money, more problems. You got the problems. All right. So what do you do when you're all twirled and swirled up? Okay. Well, number one, how much shit do you need? Let's start there. I've always thought that young people, and you are a young person, you're in your 20s. Number one, let's let's start here. Uh, what's the goal? Is it to to graduate uh, to get a job that you want. Okay. Uh, I end up teaching as I'm going to call for the jobs I wanted. What's the goal? That's it. I, I, I can't, I'm not sure what the goal is here for you in terms of a career. If you're going to be, uh, you're away from the family and I know in the Philippines from what I understand too, yes, that it's about living with family and family, family, you're not that life so that you, it's going to be a little harder for you culturally, I'm guessing. So what's the career goal? Let's start there because if you can't support yourself, then it all falls to the wayside. 
Um, what do you want and how are you going to get there quickly? And then after that, like I'm trying to organize your life. Okay. Here's what I would do. I'm trying. I'm trying. Okay. Decide the goal. What's the goal? Number two, write down your finances, get a really clear picture of what's going in and what's going out. What are you spending it on? What are these activities? Are they a priority? What's the priority? Is there a lot of shit that you don't need to spend your money on that you're spending your money on? Take a long, hard look at what goes in and what comes out. Keep your overhead super low because right now it sounds like you are in survival mode uh, and you got to take a real stern look at what you're doing. And a lot of the times when we're emotional and we're full of depression and anxiety and chaos and turmoil. We spend money on shit we don't need. Uh, we, we go do things that we don't need to do. We go drinking, we, we buy handbags or whatever the fuck it is to alleviate the emotional turmoil. So let's make sure we're not doing those things uh, that will actually harm us in the long run. So you need to get your life in a big way, it sounds like. Okay, recap. Define the goal number two. Take a hard look at where the money's going and what to. And there are activities, are activities that are highly enjoyable, high, highly beneficial, and not very expensive. We have uh, what's known as, if you want to go to the gym, we have a, a YWCA. I remember uh, as a new comic, a lot of people would go down to the YMCA or YWCA, whatever, and go work out there because it was a lot cheaper. Uh, A lot of meditation places are free, at least in California, and I'm sure in the Philippines, I'm hoping as well. Um, There are lots of things you can do that don't cost a lot. I mean, I remember when Tommy and I were in our 20s and broke, uh, some of the best times in my life were spent just coming home and going for a walk around the Silver Lake Reservoir. That's what we did. We just fucking walked. We hung out. Um, so get a con- you want to control a little bit. And, and by that, I mean just kind of get focused. Get really fucking clear on what it is you want to achieve. And then look at the numbers. And then, yeah, you're right. There are times in your life where you're going to be out of balance. And, and you kind of have to go through the eye of the needle to get to where you got to go. So it's going to be fucked up for a while. Not going to lie. You're going to feel whacked out, but just know that there's an end game and there's an end in sight to it. You don't want to feel like you're just on a hamster wheel forever. And that's why you need a really clear plan of how to get out of, of whatever it is, the debt, the schooling, blah, blah, blah. And, uh, and the friends and all that, I think come after you feel a sense of accomplishment and you feel a sense of like, all right, I've got my shit together. I'm doing this. And then all the other things kind of fall in line. But until you feel good about yourself and like you're doing something with your life that's meaningful and that you're you're working towards something, right? Uh, Then you're going to feel like this, which is, it sounds like a lot of chaos. So, and also too, you write that um, you you start things. I have no friend. I kind of feel like I considered lots of things, but I couldn't seem to get motivated to make, to take consistent action at some point, some point. I'll lose interest or would be questioning their value. What's the point anyways, you know, and I hate that I do that. Okay. So, you know, that's one of your, it sounds like that's one of your big things is that you quit. I want to try this thing and then uh, I don't, this is too hard or whatever. So you got to fucking really get tough on yourself and be, and put on your big girl pants, your big girl, 28 year old pants. And if you don't fucking get your life now before you turn into your thirties, it's going to be a disaster. I'm sorry. And I, anybody listening to this, it's just the absolute fucking truth. These, 
actions of these self-disciplined actions, you kind of have to do it in your 20s so that you can live a productive life. Consistent action over time. Like that girl who just emailed me and she's depressed, but she keeps this regimen of like going to bed at 10, waking up at six, doing her thing. That, That is so fucking important. That is so important just to have your life kind of structured for you so that everything else kind of falls in line. All right. It's the same thing when you got a baby, you put that baby on a goddamn schedule so that the baby's life is structured. There's order. There's like, they know what to expect because life is overwhelming for small people. They're learning so much every day. They don't need to have the added stress of what's going to happen next. Am I napping? Am I eating? Am I sleeping? No, no, no. The kid knows exactly what's going to happen and they feel better that way and you create stability. So our feelings, unfortunately, have little to do with motivation because uh, you're, you're always never going to feel like doing shit. Unfortunately, there's very few times I've ever felt like doing stand up or felt like doing most of the things that <laughs> that are responsible. You just don't. You don't feel like it. And that's what it is to become an, a real self-actualized adult is that you do those things even though you don't feel like doing them. And that's a learning process. This is not to shit on you, Manila. This is to let you know that you're at the age where this is very important to turn the ship around. You're right there. You're right on 28 is the the year that if you don't turn that ship around now, it's going to be a lot harder for you. So uh, my advice is to read books about about getting your life. Like I said, Google something that interests you. Why, why are you so lost? What is this thing? Uh, figure out what it is, where you want to go, and then get find the people that inspire you and keep you on track. Is it the Wayne Dyers of the world? Is it Marianne Williamson? Is it Louise Hay? You know, is it, uh, I don't know, fucking... Uh, Ram Das. Um, so find find your your inspirational people. Uh, use them as your stars. That's what I you know. I think is really helpful for me, anyways. Or uh, I even read about um, a woman in PR who chose the Hindu goddess Durga as her north star, and uh, Durga is the goddess of, I believe, war. And Durga is her inspiration. So every morning she wakes up and she chants to Durga. And Durga gives her the strength to fight the battles that she needs to fight every day in the PR world. Kelly Catrone, that's who who loves Durga. Uh, So you find your inspirations and then you, you have your life, your goals, and then you fucking just do them. That's all there is to it. And you have to have the self-discipline because nobody's going to do it for you. And especially if you don't have your family... that's okay. You don't, you know, that's totally fine, but it's going to have to come within you and it's from within you. That's the thing. Most people don't tell you that too in the self-help world, but I do think that all this motivation horse shit, it is really about, are you going to wake up and are you going to fucking do it? And are you going to do it again tomorrow? And then are you going to do it again tomorrow? And are you going to do it again tomorrow? And the reason self-help doesn't work for everybody, my particular speaker, is because they'll use one thing like, make God your your thing that wakes you up and makes you do the things that you don't want to do every day. Or use love. Mary Williamson will use love. Use Christ. Use you know, a higher power. That's why that's really popular in... Uh, now AA or whatever the fuck, because you're, you're not being, you're not leading the ship. You're finding a source of power that's outside of yourself that you can turn to in times of turmoil. And that's useful for some people. So, uh, find your, find your power source that you can plug into so that you can get less 
scattered and you can get centered and you get really, really focused because you are on a hamster wheel, my love. You are scattered and you are unfocused. That's the biggest problem. You know, I do love the military. My mother told me uh, to marry a man that was in the military and uh, both my father and my stepdad were in the military in their respective countries of origin. And uh, I think the reason she said that stuff is because they teach you the discipline, right? The, um, the structure, the discipline to young men, to little boys, basically. You're, what, 18, 17 years old when you go into the military. And you, you do things like you wake up at the same time, you make your bed, you get your uniform on, you do the same shit. And that structure, that internal structure is very, very important. Uh, I think so. That's a really big deal. I mean, even when I was an unemployed comic, when Tom and I were um, really unemployed and really poor and really struggling, I remember reading about Jerry Seinfeld who would go to an office or just wake up every day, I think, and just write. And so I started the practice many years ago, just wake up and start doing the work every day. Even if nothing good comes, you're just doing it. You've got the structure in place. And once you have your structure in place... It's, it's much easier to live. It is so much easier to live when you know what's happening to you. Um, so create some semblance of structure. And there's a lot of free shit in the world that is enjoyable to do. Believe you me. Believe you me. All right. I hope that helps you guys. Uh, email me. That's the podcast at gmail.com if you want me to answer your emails. Thank you uh, for listening to this. The book I mentioned earlier was Codependency No More. Codependent No More codependency let me look that up so i don't leave you codependency no more apparently it's a real classic jam in the self-help world no codependent no more codependent no more yeah anyway codependent no more there you go how to stop controlling others and start caring for yourself by melody beady beady baby beady there you go check that out guys thank you again uh meow meow meows I love you guys. And uh, until next time, that's been D-Bro. Now what? I don't know. Philosophize with Philosophize with Christina P, aka Miss Jeans. This ain't your mom's house. It's a different theme. Gotta be critically thinking. Like you caught up at a cocktail party, our thoughts start to sink in. John Locke, or was it Socrates? Aristotle or Plato, maybe Hippocrates. Got us talking all properly, topically. Just a comedian discussing these philosophies. Serious questions, silly people. What's that? That's tea, bro. It is the ultimate metaphor for life, and you know what that is? What? That's deep, bro. That's deep, bro.